Welcome to episode 138 of Friends in Film. We're here to bring you the latest movie news and review the biggest new release, or in this case, do our best of 2018 so far list. As always, I'm your host, Cooper, and this week I'm joined by Josh Traley. And I'm really worried my new haircut makes me look like a Nazi. And does it? Somebody to make to judge that haircut is Colt Meekty. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say no. No. Okay. okay. No. You that... look like a true blown American. <laughs> Thank you, hero. God bless. Thank goodness. I don't, don't. We don't need any affiliation with Nazis on this podcast. No, we do not. So uh, yeah, let's kick things off by talking about what we've watched recently. Colton, what have you been checking out? Um. Well, recently I I revisited uh, Darkest Hour. The Gary Oldman movie from a year ago. I'm sorry. Um, no, I I enjoyed it. Wait, isn't that the Chris Pine movie? No, it's no, uh, that's it's Gary. It's the one Gary Oldman won an Oscar for. Oh, for uh, Winston the... Churchill. Oh, yeah. You enjoyed it? Yeah, I, I the second time I fell asleep the first time watching it. <laughs> uh, the second time I actually I watched it in spurts. Mm-hmm. So I think that might have helped, but um, I thought it was it was a well written movie. Um, well acted. Could have been more. I guess entertaining, but I mean, revisiting it, I was like, I found some appreciation for it. Okay. But I mean, like, I, would I watch it again? Probably not. Okay. So. <laughs> Just had to get through it the one time. Yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to actually watch, say I could watch the whole thing because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yeah. Yeah. It's like saying you can watch Gone with the Wind without nodding off or checking your phone yeah. or, you know. <laughs> pretending that every piece of it is just magnificent mm-hmm. oh jeez. so i'm guessing josh you were not revisiting gone with the wind this I week i've not seen no i have not even watched gone with the wind actually so i guess i don't know what i'm saying at this <laughs> moment but this week i took a look for the first time at brothers bloom ryan johnson's uh sophomore film and it's a massive mashup of genres in like so many ways um but of course, Adrian Brody and Mark Ruffalo are delightful. Uh, but it just kind of—I don't know. It feels like he like let everything go on it at a time. And for better or worse, it's like his worst movie. But that's still saying. But he's still a great director, right? Like that. Like if I had to rank him, it would be four. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, I'd have to. Re- I re- I watched Brick and Brothers Bloom like in the, like the same day or like the same two days. Mm-hmm. And they they yeah. they don't blur together for me. I'm just like I remember yeah. feeling like very similar about both of them. They're like oh, those okay. were those were those were good movies. Yeah, they're fun. And that was like it. They're fun, but Brick like moves into the pantheon of like unique. And Brothers Boom is like mm-hmm. just another con movie. True, true. Uh, this week I checked out. You were never really here. Oh, the Joking Phoenix Lynn Ramsey movie from this year, and a lot of people are praising this as one of the best movies of the year. Would it make my list? No, it will not. Um, but I thought Joking Phoenix was excellent in the movie. It's like a mix up of like, there's like very, uh, there's a lot of taxi driver elements to it where he's like a, this just guy looking for work and then becomes a hired gun. And then there's this like subplot about a, a little girl that he's trying to save who's been like taken into this like sex trafficking circle. And it's just like uh, very brutal role for Phoenix, but also very emotionally um, tax, taxing one as well because he really has to. There's a lot of conflict that he has to go through, but also a lot of physical violence he has to go into, but then also mm-hmm. the turmoil of some of the losses he encounters as the story progresses. It moves pretty quickly. I thought Lynn Ramsey does uh, a really phenomenal job as a director. Um, and yeah, definitely go check it out. It's currently on Redbox and just DVD in general and stuff. Does it make you feel any better about Joaquin Phoenix's Joker? It doesn't. It didn't change my opinion anyway, because it's just like, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is still a phenomenal actor. Okay. Does it, did it like 
conjure up any, oh, this is how he can tap into this element for the Joker. Yeah. Not really. Okay. Just, he's just a bearded guy, you know, beating, killing people. So. It is a great beard. <laughs> it is. Uh, so, anyways, let's get into the meat of this episode, which will be our best of 2018 so far lists. Uh, we are going to structure this by going 10 through uh, 7 and then six through four individually, and then do our top three individually. So we'll start off with Colton and then go to Josh and then me. And as we did last time, we're going to be doing pauses. So if it, a movie is ranked higher, we can save that discussion later. Um, so when we can kind of all join together. So Colton, what is your number 10? Okay, so this movie has potential to move up and with on a repeat viewing here, and I expect it to. But for now, I got it at number 10. It's sorry to bother you. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Just Any pauses? Yep, no. not on my okay. list. Uh, so it's the story of a telemarketer uh, trying to move up in the big leagues and make a name for himself, basically. So um, from when from now on, when I hear the word ambitious, I'm going to think about this movie. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh, first time director, Boots Riley. Uh, he completely throws everything he has at the table. Um, you either run with it or you don't. I, I ran with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to say. Uh, because ultimately what it comes down to is the performance of Lakeith Stanfield, yeah. who's really been moving up the ranks on my mm-hmm. list here with uh, Get Out, Atlanta. I loved him in that. Um, he kind of brings that natural deadpan sense of humor he has with him in this movie as well. Um, I think that the social and racial commentary works as well in this. Um, yeah. So well, in fact, that it breaks new ground and that it does it in a way that audiences haven't seen before. And a lot of that goes with can you run with it or can you mm-hmm. not type deal, too. Um so I recommend it for that alone, if anything, just to see like a unique take on a on this social com- and racial commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you want something unique and edgy, check out. Sorry to bother you. Yeah, for it's sure. It, uh, I have it on my number 11, I guess. So, so like honorable, mention. honorable mention. Yeah. Like gotcha. it's so reductive when the, like with like race and ambition and um, capitalism, I guess, is like a mm-hmm. corporate thing. Yeah, and yeah. as well as like labor movement that you just can kind of see it clearly. Right up until like the very end when you're just like, well, what does that have to do with it? But okay, you know, we'll go for it yeah. anyway. So yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, if you read my review on friendsfrom.wordpress.com, <laughs> you guys know I don't feel as strongly as you guys mm-hmm. do about it. But I mean, it's definitely ambitious, that's for sure. So if that's what you're looking for, go check it out. <laughs> All right, you're number, number nine. Yeah, my number nine, I've got Incredibles 2 here. Whoa. Okay. Pause. Okay. okay. We'll pause. So uh, Colin, you're number eight. Number eight is going to be another pause here. Uh, Black Panther. Yeah, pause. All right, and then number seven. Yep, number I'm going seven. with uh, Black Klansman. Josh is on your list. I haven't seen it yet. It is also my number seven. Really? So do good work. Wanna, Let's talk about it right wait. now. Okay. Let's talk about it right now. Okay, so um, for me, the movie proves to be a lot of things. It's funny and it's hard hitting. Um, Spike Lee is able to find the perfect balance between the two. Um, it's kind of preachy, but not in an overbearing sense mm-hmm. to where you're sitting there thinking like I'm being preached at right yeah. now. Um, it's timely in that it uses real-world circumstances, like literally, mm-hmm. to drive the point home. And as you leaving the theater a little flustered and shaken. <laughs> Very. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, John David Washington, Denzel's son, which I found out after I had seen the movie. And like you had mentioned, they sound like it is. It is identical. It is identical. It's crazy. It's so uh, He's He's terrific in this movie. And I think he his name should be considered for come award season. Um, Adam Driver is terrific as well. He proves, like, I think you had mentioned that he's, like, one of the best young actors working today. I think he's like the greatest previous, for generation. Yeah, so wow. he he uh, he proves to, I don't know, hold up to that standard, but like, <laughs> he's definitely, like, you can make an argument with you when you see his performance mm-hmm. in this movie. 
Um, the scene setups in the movie are tense and hilarious at the same time, most of the time. Yes. And um, it, it's a really important movie with a lot to say, and it's definitely one of the year's best. And this is another one that could possibly move up on the list. My only downfall with it would be that it kind of feels a little like not necessarily plotting, but kind of like slower paced mm -hmm. at times. Um, but yeah, the ending, I can't drive that home enough. That's just really like, it's a gut punch yeah. when you leave the theater. The, the ending is so emotionally resonating with just the fact that like Spike Lee does something set back in the seventies mm -hmm. or the eighties. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you know year exactly, but he tells this, this, the story about a black cop going after the KKK and infiltrating them by the use of Adam Driver. And you you get to hear and see all of the racist remarks that this group is imploring, but also just the, the racial divide within the country and even like the, the cops themselves, how they treat black people, but then how the black people are responding. Um, I, yeah, I think the, the slow parts probably come like, Around the second More of a act, romance, yeah, elements. The, of the movie. I mean, Liz Harrier is in it, and she's she's really or great, not Liz but, Harrier, Laura Harrier, yeah, uh, and she's yeah, she's great in it. But her character isn't as fleshed out as I think you'd really want it to be to have her own arc really hit well. But that being said, her chemistry with John David Washington is exceptional, and I mean. I think the only thing that also keeps it kind of a little bit lower on my list it, at seven, because I agree with you, that's one of the film, one of the best years of, or one of the film, best films of the year, mm -hmm. is just the rewatchability of it because that ending is such, like it just makes me sick to my stomach, just like even kind of thinking about it the way like he, Spike Lee pulls this off, that I don't like I don't feel the need to like rewatch it again after seeing it like two weeks ago because I just like mm -hmm. I don't want to feel like so terrible like as a human being that this stuff has happened but it's also still happening but then also the state of america and like everything else like it is so well done and adam driver is great as well so yeah absolutely go check it out josh are you kicking yourself for not seeing this yet yeah i feel awful <laughs> i mean like and then you keep talking about that ending i've seen tweets where people have been described like reactions in the theaters mm -hmm. as they've laughed some people said like they've been crying yeah. and things so, oh man it I, is feel like uh, I'm, I'm terrible it is it is one of the year's best endings for sure and um, mm -hmm. maybe even the best if one. not the best yeah. yeah um so then that's colon's 10 through 7 so josh you're number 10 i don't even want to say it now it just feels so like surface uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've got ready player one pause okay um so at number nine i have solo a star wars story um calling on your no. list no me, okay me either. good all right yeah this is like just squeaking in here i guess at number nine mm -hmm. i could have left it off uh, maybe if i'd seen black Klansman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, obviously it went through uh, some rough patches you know kicking out phil lord and chris miller as director it lost a really unique um, character and actor with um michael williams getting mm -hmm. you know um scheduled out of the production and a more bland character with um i don't even remember the guy's name anymore but <laughs> dryden voss uh played by the guy the british oh, dude paul, v paul, paul bettany. bettany thank you but anyway um it's a fun light-hearted star wars movie that's low stakes and um you get to kind of just see alden Einreich and my man donald glover um kind of being a dynamic duel for mm -hmm. a really good half of the movie. And though m many sections of it fall flat and kind of are cr a little cringeworthy in some regards, yeah. um, it's still fun. 
And I, you just can't say enough about Bradford Young cinematography in it. Mm-hmm. It's really unique. Um, it's the first time someone's done something truly different uh, in Star Wars. I mean, I thought Steve Yedlin did something different in Last Jedi, but this is just next level stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think it's ultimately going to be remembered for having Bradford Young on it. And I think that's just one part of it that makes it exceptional. Mm-hmm. So then you're, is, you're number eight? It, I'm gonna. It's Infinity War. Oh yeah, pause, pause, pause absolutely. <laughs> All right. So then you're number seven. Cargo, from Netflix. Uh, I watched and reviewed this earlier this year, mm-hmm. or no, actually midsummer, I believe. Yep. And I was just absolutely blown away. Um, it stars Martin Freeman just as this lone wanderer um, in the Australian desert, where it's just him and his daughter. He's been bitten. And he's just wandering around to all these clan, clans and sections and different types of people who like, you typically see and meet in the zombie apocalypse. And his run-in with them you know, is just all about who are these as people. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like a commentary on these kind of movies, but also the end of the world. And you kind of, kind of, you kind of get to see how shallow everyone is in terms of the film but then also like in other movies and shows mm-hmm. that depict this like the walking dead you can't really look at that movie the same way again or that show again that series you're just kind of like what is everyone doing how do you lose humanity this fast <laughs> and it's just um it's incredibly sweet it's based off of a short film um and just when you think you can't drag out a 90 minute premise they do it teeter it's a little bit sketchy in some parts where you're like, all right, you're just taking too long here. But then it finally gets there and you're like, that was worth the trip. All right. Uh, Colin, can you run through your 10 through seven again? Yeah. Just so I, I forgot to keep record of it before. Nope. Yeah. Sure. Um, sorry to bother you. Okay. Incredibles two, black Panther. Okay. And black Klansman. Perfect. All right. Just needed to make note of those. Um, so we already paused on my number 10, which is, uh, Incredibles 2 mm-hmm. okay. and so then a, my number 9 I believe will also be a pause A Quiet Place yes okay um, and then my number 8 is Upgrade nice on anybody's That's list just an honorable nope. mention for me alright uh, I thought Upgrade has some of the best action of the year even like going toe to toe with the big blockbusters on. in this movie does on like a 5 to 10 million dollar budget probably um, Logan Marshall Green I thought did such a good job and really I thought it was funny because he always gets the he's the B version of Tom Hardy because they look similar <laughs> and I true. find it hilarious that he does this um, out of body experience thing the same year Hardy yeah. is doing Venom and like mm-hmm. he is doing the exact same thing in that movie but Logan Marshall Green beat him to the punch in this regard and I think set the bar very high in in terms of tr- pulling that off because he he's doing all of those fight scenes himself but then he's having like the shocked expression of oh my gosh oh what, what's happening all while delivering like these lethal punches and kicks and mm-hmm. stabbing people and shooting people and like mm-hmm. the camera work the is camera like work big, is is so good um like there's the there's the great shot from the trailer of him like rising yeah. up but then even like there's a great shootout between logan marshall green and like the the main henchman guy where like the camera's like spinning around them they're just like the, the evil dude just like spinning and laughing and it's just like mm-hmm. everything is so well done. I think the, the plot could have been handled a little better, um, but it's it, this movie is on 
my list just because of the action alone. And I really want to see more from the director, Le Winnell. Like, I hope he gets some bigger level um, action movie in the near future because I really just think if you check this movie out, you're not going to be disappointed by the action, especially the story, maybe. But the action, I think, delivers time and time again. Yeah, you can't say enough about cinematography either. Mm-hmm. I mean, those hues and colors that get thrown in there. It's a little John Wicky, but at the same yeah. time, it really builds out this world that they live in. And it's excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I personally loved the story, though. I thought the uh, ending is like one of the top in the top five. I True. think for the year, mm, it's a little cliche. <laughs> that I thought it wasn't, though. I don't know. I I, I I think it worked not as well as maybe I would have liked, but um, this is one that it comes out on. I just for some reason didn't see it coming. I guess so. Yeah, okay. that might have been why. Yeah, I mean, it comes out on digital or it comes out on blue uh, or Blu- Blu-ray like next week or yeah. or the week you guys are hearing this. So I'm. Uh, very excited to see this. Friday. So might be this see it again. Coming up. It may be because I know yeah. it's already out on digital. So it depends on if they have a one week digital run or if it's two weeks. I don't know what they're doing at Blumhouse, but mm-hmm. very job well done for them. Um, my, and we already talked about number seven, Black Klansman. So Colton, we're going back to you. Okay. For your number six, my number six is Deadpool two. Okay, Josh. Cool. Okay. Not on so, my list. Um. Although I feel it's not as good as the one I previously mentioned in Black Klansman, as a, far as a movie goes, mm-hmm. I still the pure enjoyment factor I got out of watching this is why I have it at six. Um, and I'll just say it: I liked it better than the first one. Um, really? I, yeah, I'm in the. I know I'm in the minority there, but okay. um, I enjoyed the plot more. I thought it was funnier than the first one. Um, the great there. Were, I mean, there were a couple of jokes that didn't really land as well as I would have liked, but the great majority of them landed. Mm-hmm. Um, the action was better than the first as well. Um, I thought the action was terrific, actually. Like especially like that, that opening montage where he's just like taking on people. At Scoutmaster oh, Kevin, yeah, yeah. You know, that one. <laughs> <laughs> so and Zazie Beats and Josh Brolin were mm-hmm. great additions to the franchise. Um, yeah, and they really helped the action kick it up yeah. a notch too. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention the after credit scene, <laughs> as it's one of the best I've ever seen. Probably um, the X, the whole X Force factor in it was really fun mm-hmm. um i had a great time watching what they did with that yeah and um i also like seeing people's reactions to what they do with the x-force <laughs> sure. when they're seeing it for the first time it's a great gag um so yeah i mean if you enjoyed the first you probably have already seen this mm-hmm. but if you haven't definitely check it out so. why do you think it's funnier than the, I, the jokes just landed better with me the the first one after re-watching it before this one came out mm-hmm. i feel like it almost felt a lot of the jokes felt like kind of forced to me Especially okay. with Bakarin's character, right? Uh, she just had that like, like I don't know, like I'm a, I'm a ba chick, you uh-huh. know? Sure. And I just, okay, I, it was just kind of like roll your eyes. Yeah. At some of her lines. Were that you she cool had. with that? I was fine with them offing her. Yes, I, mean, I thought it. Did even more... seen Deadpool two at this point. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I right. was okay. I'm just curious. I, I just thought I felt like the jokes felt more earned in this one, and like. I felt like they almost did more pop culture references. They did, like, which I liked a lot. Like yeah, I thought they worked I, really well. Like, I thought the that sun's was to going the down, sun's getting real low, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. Which is fine. Yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's up to your taste and what yeah, you like in comedy. Sure. And I this worked better for me than the first one did. Right. Okay, fair I'm enough. not saying I didn't like the first one. I right. really liked the first one. Yeah, but I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think for me watching it again, uh, Zazie Beats is definitely the the best part of that movie. Just cause, like even just the joke of what's your superpower? I'm I'm lucky. Well, that's not cinematic. Uh, yeah. 
It absolutely is because yeah. <laughs> like her action stuff is yeah, just is so the well whole, done. Uh, the whole X Force scene from the parachuting mm-hmm. down to the you know the truck yeah scene that's like probably the best one of the, the movie. yeah yeah it's yeah. They should have gone all in on what I came to the conclusion of real quick uh, was just that they should have went more physical comedy than just jokes that may not land as well 15 years, 10 years from now, 15 yeah, years from now. Maybe. That's fair. Yeah. I'm, in the, I'm in the here and now, though. I hear you. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what movies are, I guess. Yeah. So then your number five. My number five is Won't You Be My Neighbor. Ooh, okay. <sighs> haven't seen it yet. No, okay. I haven't seen it yet. So this is probably the best documentary I've ever seen. Wow. Okay. Um, it highlights the life of Mr. Rogers in a way that pays tribute to him without actually just being like, oh, look how great of a guy he is. <laughs> it doesn't like feel like it's forcing that on you. It just literally chronicles his journey through life, and you come to love and respect him just for that, just for being the person he is. Um, I think it's a very important movie as well because it shows how important it is to treat everyone with dignity and respect, um, including like young kids, mm-hmm. uh, which is what Mr. Rogers did. He tackled very mature material, which they touch on, um, in his show. Um, and he didn't like talk down to them at all. He like, like he did, he did a lesson on like assassinations. Like when yeah. JFK yeah. got assassinated, he like did a segment with the kids where he was like, what is, uh, <laughs> with his puppets. He's right. like, I've been hearing adults talk about assassination. What is that? And then like, he just, he explained it. Like he didn't, pulls punches at all he's mm-hmm. like it's when you know yeah when he, he like brought in hate as being a part of it yep. you know murder and all that stuff so yeah you leave the fe- uh, the theater feeling like you want to go out and do something good for the world you know that's just kind of how i felt whether it be something large scale or just something as simple as being nice to everyone you come across because you don't know what kind of day they're having mm-hmm. um so yeah i feel like everyone can benefit from, from watching this uh there are a few scenes that definitely produce tear-jerking moments which I guess I was kind of expecting, mm-hmm. but being like, I mean, I watched Mr. Rogers as like a really young kid, but yeah. I mean, I didn't think I was going to get moved as much as I did. Did you cry? Little tear, Aww. little tear, <laughs> like little, little droplet. Li- not, I don't think it dropped, but it, my eyes like teared up. Yeah. You know, the screen was a little blurry. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess, I guess so. Um, and I have no shame in saying that, oh, you know? Sure. So, um, yeah, it was, it was emotionally moving and that's, Movies always get me when they can do that to me, you know? So, um, and it's doing this all from just showing you actual footage of the show in a lot of ways. And that's just something like really cool. Um, and I feel like everyone in the world would be better off watching this movie. So I can't recommend it enough. It's a ring endorsement. I know that was one for me that like, you're not the only person I've heard just like rave about. I mean, I think the, you know, the critics score on like Rotten Tomatoes, everything is like a 97 or something. Like it's just yeah, crazy high. high. Mm-hmm. And everybody I've heard is just like, this is like one of the best films of the year. One of the, like easily one of the best docs of the year, like that, or like the three strangers uh, or whatever that one's uh, called. Three identical or, strangers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's like those two are like pristine docs of the year, like probably going for Oscars and stuff. And um, I, I am like, I do wish that I'd checked out in theaters and then like a couple of days ago I was at Redbox and I think it was there and I was like, Oh, I should like watch this. But then I was like, but I don't really feel like watching a documentary right now. Like I'll watch these, these other movies and like those other movies like sucked. So I should have, should have went with uh want you be my neighbor. It sounds like, <laughs> am I doing number four now? Uh, yes. You're number four. Okay. My number four is eighth grade. Wow. Not Anybody? on my list. Definitely not okay. mention. So, there's just something about the realness of this movie that got to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you experience what kids are going through these days, and you see the generational gap extremely present here. And it's almost kind of heartbreaking in a way. Um, 
it's even touched on by a character in the movie when they're at the mall and the mall scene, they kind of <laughs> yeah. talk about the generational gap mm-hmm. and they go into some like turn. I'm not going to talk about, but Elsie <laughs> um, Fisher in this gives a great, fantastic performance mm-hmm. as a troubled, socially awkward eighth grader. that is just trying a little too hard to fit in with kids at school, actually get friends and catch the eye of the boy. She likes really mm-hmm. just emerge from the background. Um, there are, there are quite a few heart wrenching scenes in this movie. I thought um, that, some of them didn't even feel like they were going for that and yeah. trying to aim for those emotions, but just like the performance of Fisher really makes you care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, like when she gets really happy and excited when an older girl invites her to go out, it's just kind of yeah. like you got, it's you kind of, yeah, you just kind of feel a little like sick to your stomach in a way too. Cause it's like, you see how excited she gets and you're just like, wow, she's mm-hmm. like really suffering. I don't know. You know, and then it's like countered to like early yeah. in the movie when like she's named like most quiet yeah, at like exactly. the school awards and she just like sings into her seat because like she doesn't want mm-hmm. that award and like mm-hmm. it's yeah it's so you kind of cringe as she struggles to fit in at a pool party. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the. I think his name's Gabe in the movie. The yeah, friend she comes across. Yep. He's hilarious too. He is. He is yeah. very good. Um, or you know, just there's some, there's a disgusting scene that happens oh. in the movie that feels too all too real and it makes you feel like cringy just watching mm-hmm. it. Um, and then there's, you know, she has an emotional heart to heart scene with her dad, which I thought was like one of the best scenes of the year. Yeah. Best, um, best moment of the movie. Yeah. And I feel like it's not an exaggeration to call her in particular Oscar worthy for this movie. Really? Um, yeah, I just, she, it impressed me a lot and I love the movie and it's without a doubt, probably the biggest surprise of the year for me. Yeah. So that's my number four. Yeah, it is. it, It is exceptional. Um, it, I, I wish I maybe loved it a little more and it, it probably would have made my list. It's definitely an honorable mention at this point. Um, and yeah, the, the end scene between Josh Hamilton and Elsie uh, Fisher mm-hmm. is, is just so good because it's fine. Like he, this whole movie, he, the dad just like wants to connect with his daughter, but she is like the classic, what is she? Is she gen X or millennial? I don't know what she would be exactly, but Z. generation yeah. Z and, but like, throughout dinner and he's a single dad she's just like on her phone like she just wants to listen to her music like look at snapchat yeah that's scroll like through instagram scene, pretty much yeah and like she just wants to do that and like not talk to her dad but like he just keeps trying to connect with her over and over again and then by the end of the movie they finally have this like connection and it's just like this like huge relief it's like finally like this moment that he's been wanting happens but it's also like great for her because she finally like opens up to somebody and yeah, i mean the dynamic between her and that older friend that she meets uh really charming and the, the highs and lows i mean bo burnham as the director um i thought he did an absolutely great job with this so mm-hmm. uh we will move on then to josh's number six. Oh man um black panther uh we'll we'll still we'll still punt all right okay. sounds good um number five incredibles two okay is so that you, one we can talk about yep because that okay. was he was the one that punted earlier below mm-hmm. so josh uh is your number five why don't you start us off there's often not a perfect sequel you can never make something a follow-up to something that's great and have it be as good as the first but Brad Bird and everyone else did that with Incredibles 2. I mean, it's literally a direct sequel. It's almost just basically the, a 90-minute um, expansion pack of the first movie in um, so many ways. Uh, it's like, you know, it was like perfectly planned for the renaissance of Holly mm-hmm. Hunter as Elastigirl gets to take the lead. Um, and Bob Parr, um, or Bob, gets to, you know, be the parent of it and everything like that. And it's sort of just that 
other dynamic that also gets to be for our updated world. It's it's funny in just so many ways. Jack Jack, um, I guess who they finally realized was the gem of that first movie. Mm-hmm. They made him the star of this one and all of the shenanigans with every single power that he's got as the kids are discovering and he's discovering it for himself. Um is you know just it's cute as it is funny and uh, i just loved it Mm -hmm. and i didn't uh, the expectations were so high that i didn't think it could get there (laughs) but not only did it get there it did a little bit more and that doesn't happen often Mm -hmm. especially on your first viewing and um, I mean, Disney Pixar, so you can go through all these other ways that it's witty and there's a double-edged humor to a lot of yeah. the things that go on. Um, but yeah, it just really got to, gets it right this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, uh, I mean, it, I mean, it's obviously on my list, but it's, it's number 10 for me. It, it definitely was worth the wait as a sequel, but I still thought there were, I guess, technically more issues with it than the first movie. So like... You know, I thought the screen slaver twist was pretty predictable. Not that like that's necessarily a bad thing, but like if you're setting it up, all the mystery, I would, I feel like Pixar more often than not finds a way to twist things on the on your head than than you'd expect. So I was kind of a little disappointed in that aspect. But Elastigirl was just was just so good. Like getting to see her, the the, the action that Brad Bird did with craft in an animated form, like that bicycle that, that motorcycle chase is still one of my favorite action sequences of the year just because it is so inventive and fun in the way the last girl uses her powers and dislocates the bike so mm-hmm. she can like like ride on the side of a wall but then like make these huge leaps it's just it is so well done and you already mentioned jack jack but i just want to echo like mm-hmm. the uh the joy that comes whenever jack jack on screen when he's showing like his 24 different powers or however many it is yeah uh it is it is just some of the best stuff in the movie movie and um i think the only thing i probably would have liked more is just a little bit more from uh the other two kids you know mm-hmm. i think that would have like gave me a little bit more satisfaction but it's it's still you know one of the best movies of the year so far so yeah, it was my number nine. And uh, to echo what you guys said about Jack-Jack, I liked how they set it up to where you're kind of discovering his powers as mm-hmm. the Pars are discovering his powers. Yes. And uh, that was just like a really fun aspect, especially when they actually get on the ship at the end of the movie. And you just see even more power starting to emerge from mm-hmm. Jack-Jack. That was really <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought the animation was top-notch. Action, very well thought out and executed. Uh, that The scene at the end where she's using the portals to try to get yes. her to the plane, that was oh, pretty man. awesome. Um yeah, like the story kept me invested throughout. Uh, like you said, the screen sliver sw- twist you could see coming like mm-hmm. a mile away. But I mean, that didn't really bother me as much because yeah. I just thought like even that like I know the scene was famous for giving people seizures in the theater. But where she's fighting <laughs> him in that room. Yeah, with, uh, that was like really cool animation. It was I very thought. cool. It was really cool to look at. So, yeah, I mean, overall, it was a sequel that didn't disappoint. And mm-hmm. that's all you can really ask for. True. So then. That was your number four, right? Number five. That was your number five. So what is your number four? Number four, we can just go ahead and put a pause on. It's Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah, it's a pause. All right. So that goes to my number six then, which is Game Night. Ooh. On anybody else's list? No. It's on my honorable mentions. All right. So Game Night is uh, a movie I have just... I, I I very much enjoyed it the very first time I saw it, and then I saw it again and enjoyed it even more, and just... Every time I think about it, it puts a smile on my face because it's just so funny. And I love the premise of just a game night that goes insanely wrong. And uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams together, they're 
it's like it's it's the standard stuff you'd expect from Jason Bateman. You know, he's being the funny guy, but he's also like you know trying to do some more dramatic stuff now after like being in Ozark and everything. But then like Rachel McAdams, like I feel like I haven't seen her in like just this fun role in forever and it was so great just to see her do that and have like the karaoke bar scene where she's like, like wave, waving around the gun and <laughs> yes. like and you're like oh my gosh like she could like kill somebody right now and then there's the great scene where she obviously like accidentally shoots jason bateman and then mm-hmm. like you have to like clean through and she's like what is that oh it, that's the bone oh they went through it's like <laughs> you guys didn't check for the exit wound beforehand and it's just like it keeps on going i think just the entire cast from top to bottom mm-hmm. does such a great job uh even the way like it it plays on your expectation by the end of just like mm. it, it keeps changing and flipping and like jesse <laughs> plemons like involvement and you're just like all right what's next and then like there's one final gag of like gotcha and it's like wait no there's no way it's like yeah it, it's not this is like it's it, they, they're so clever and it, it really makes excited for francis and uh daily to go on and do more things they're supposed to do the flash movie next um i i think it just has great watchability so that that pushes it up a little higher on my list than like technically black clansman would be a better movie than game night but if i have to choose which one to watch it's it's easily oh, yeah. game night so uh that is my number six either guys want to comment on it i mean yeah um, Oh, go go for it. No, I was uh, just going to say, it's probably my favorite straight up comedy of the year. And also one of the, I said eighth grade was like one of the biggest surprises. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I think I would still stick to that. Cause that wasn't, wasn't on my radar at all at the beginning of the year, but yeah. And game night kind of was, but game night definitely went above and beyond what I expected from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I was just, yeah. um, the echo what you said about Rich McAdams, someone who is doing incredible. Like mm-hmm. she's sort of bopping back and forth right now between high drama <laughs> And comedy because I think she's got disobedience out. Was yeah, that last yeah, year that, that's out. That was out earlier this year. Okay, that, yeah. her and Rachel Wise. Mm-hmm. So it's like she's like doing all sorts of things, but I hadn't seen her in comedy in a while. Mm-hmm. Her spotlight character was burned into my brain, and Mean Girls and Morning Glory <laughs> yeah. and all those other romantic comedies were just so far away at that mm-hmm. point. Um, even Doctor Strange for a little bit, and then like you said, the bars, the karaoke bar scene where it just kicks to her grooving around the room while they're ha- well they have literal hostages <laughs> is iconic well not, not as iconic though as the oh no he died you know <laughs> which is probably the best i think people say it's like the best delivered movie line and i i have to agree yeah um but i, I, I wish i wish that wasn't in the trailer because that would have that would have yeah. been it would have been so good yeah. like keep keep the joke about like you can't be a mom with that body. She's like, oh, thanks. And like, <laughs> right. keep that section in the trailer, but then just don't show him like dying because yeah. it would have been such a good moment mm-hmm. to yeah. not have seen before. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So then my number five is a movie we punted on earlier, uh, Ready Player One. Do we still need to punt? It's just in my honorable mentions. Okay. I really yeah. wanted to get it in there. Okay. I love it. Um, so Ready Player One, I think one of the best uh, in theater experiences of the year. Because I think, not to say this movie gets w- technically worse on repeat viewings at home, but it definitely loses something not being able to see the classic Spielberg blockbuster in the biggest screen possible with that epic car chase and all of the Easter eggs and all that action happening. You want to see it on the biggest screen possible. It's like seeing it at home on like just your TV or on a laptop. Like There's not that same effect sure. in terms of the, the spectacle of it, but... I still think all the character stuff really works. Ty Sheridan and Olivia Cook, especially, I thought are so good. And it, it just made me once again, like fall in love with Olivia Cook all over again. Um, I wish maybe a bit Ben Mendelsohn and 
Hannah John Kamen were a little bit more fleshed out in terms of the villains, but um, really this movie is just about the fun and the spectacle, the Easter eggs, the technical achievements of doing this VR, you know, all CG world and pulling it off and making these avatars look, I, I feel like as lifelike as you can right now. And yeah. they, it is just so fun and over the top and, uh, it keeps moving. Like I think the movie's like close to two and a half hours long, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like that at all. And it was just great to see, like, after Spielberg's done, like The Post or like The BFG or something, like either like kind of these bigger blockbusters that don't work or these more Oscar fair dramas. Like to see him return to something this Spielbergian, uh, it was just it was just so fun to see him get back to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 100%. And, like, uh, I had it, uh, I was ready to jump on this earlier at number I think it was your number 10. 10. Yep. Um, echoing a lot of what you said, he, he described it as a movie, not a film, which I thought mm-hmm. is kind of funny. But it's just pure spectacle and entertainment. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what you expect from him. And it's like the, it's the zenith of what movies are like today in, uh, or at least CG massive CG mm-hmm. spectacles can be today. Um, especially in IMAX, I, uh, IMAX 3d, if that's your, that's your cup of tea. Um, but Middleton's character I think is good. Yeah. Um, cause like whiny corporate executives is what it's all about anyway. I, and I do love the scene where like, he's trying to like negotiate with, uh, oh, with Ty. Yes. And then Ty's like, I know you have a, like a, an earpiece and feeding you this Intel. Like you're not this big of a nerd. And he's just like, all right, fine. <laughs> yeah, that's still the line after that, though. Uh, fanboy knows a what is yeah. it again? Fanboy knows a hater or, or, a, poser. or a poser, a poser. Yeah, yeah. That, I don't know about that. That's kind of dumb. But, it's a little on the nose. Uh, yeah, um, but um, Simon Pegg though was the real big mm-hmm. thing for me. But there's just a lot of innovative cinematic things to that, like the recreation of The Shining's hotel and yeah, all sorts so of things like that that just make it like, oh wow, that's eye popping, and will probably be like a popular Oscar movie mm-hmm. or something. Who knows? But that's all I got. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to say something really quick with yeah. that. Um, I know I, at the beginning of the year, the most anticipated, I had mentioned that um, I was, biggest thing I was worried about was that we were going to get taken out of it because mm-hmm. the uh, CGI aspect of it. But that actually was like the strongest part of the movie to me. Like I wanted to get back in the Oasis, yeah. you know, like anytime they were in the real world, it wasn't mm-hmm. that it was bad. It was just like, I couldn't wait to get back in. Mm-hmm. And that's like perfectly what they wanted to achieve i yeah. think so well that's a that's a great uh kind of even like explanation for what the movie's overall message is that people just are so yeah. inundated with technology that's all they want to do but so then when they ultimately take control of the oasis they're like no we're shutting it down on tuesdays and thursdays or whatever <laughs> like go spend time with real world interact with people in real life right and it's like it, it's like yes that's like that is the like exact point that they're going for to make this world so appealing like, you don't want to not be in it mm-hmm. but like the how but then, like the message, how that's not good for you, yeah, <laughs> and society. Yeah, it kind of like it, it kind of arrives like a Luke. I thought it was lukewarm when it got to that conclusion, which is that's something fair. I said in the review or when we talked about it initially. Like I thought it should have brought the hammer mm-hmm. down, like pulled the plug yeah. entirely, and said that's manipulation. But, but you, you yeah, you got to leave it open for the sequel. You know, yeah, of course. <laughs> so then, my number four is a movie that we've we punted on earlier, but we can finally now talk about it. Black Panther. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not the best Marvel movie of the year, but it is probably the most important Marvel movie of the year, uh, just in terms of the representation it allows the um, the all black cast or ma- mainly all black cast that it 
puts on the screen and that it just lets you fall in love with all of these different uh, characters and these actors, whether it's uh, Letitia Wright or Winston Duke or Denai Guerrera or uh, Lupita Nyong'o, like whoever it is, it's just like you may have seen them before, but now you love them even more now, especially yeah. like in Letitia Wright's case or Winston Duke's. Um, but then also like it gets, it takes Ryan Coogler up to the biggest blockbuster possible, has him deliver this big spectacle that you expect from a movie, but also like have still the um, socially relevant and um, the commentary that he likes to interlay into his movies. He brought that into a Marvel blockbuster, which is honestly pretty surprising that he was able to do that and pull it off. Um, Michael B. Jordan delivers as Killmonger. He is one of the best Marvel Marvel villains, but then also just like going beyond. It's a movie that has, um, it's just technically across the board, just so well done, whether it's the cinematography or the costume designs, um, the hair and makeup, the score, uh, everything about this, it, I think just fires on all cylinders. And um, it's just, it's a special movie. So uh, what do you, what I mean, you guys obviously have on your list here. So what do you guys want to say about Black Panther? Yeah, weirdly, I'm going to go ahead and like disagree with you, I guess. Even though I have it lower on my list, I'm going to say it's, the it's not it's it's a not the most important i mean it is the most a important marvel movie um but i think you're underselling it by giving it that title because i have it higher than infinity war and we obviously haven't talked about that yet but it's the most stylish indifferent wait wait i said it's the most important marvel movie yes and you disagree with that no i think when you give it just that title it's underselling it because I oh, think okay. it's also the most stylish. Okay. It's okay. also the most fresh. Um, Ryan Coogler. I mean, this movie has more style in the first 30 minutes of it than every Marvel movie. Combined. Ever, combined or ever made, I, okay. th- I believe. Um, and it just, there's just so much magnificence to it. You can get down to the social commentary, which is like when you get to the heart of a movie, you're like, how does this stand up? And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, it stands up pretty well. And you're like, oh, was Killmonger right or wrong? When you have that conversation, yeah. you're doing really great. Um, and yeah, you can just go on and on about Michael B. Jordan's performance and then uh, everyone's performance around mm-hmm. it, like Letitia Wright, who I couldn't have even told you her name. There, that she right. existed on the planet before this movie. And then you're like, Oh, let's put her in literally every movie, mm-hmm. Marvel or, you know, ensemble or, you know, give her her own standalone comedy or buddy comedy or anything like mm-hmm. that, you know. Um, I think she was actually supposed to be in Ready Player One, too. Was and, she really? But like, it was in like a small part and like she got left on the cutting room floor. Oh, but. <laughs> that would have been fantastic because you could totally imagine her like. Oh, yeah. Um, just like an avatar or like somebody like. If she was a part of their clan, that would have been that would have been yeah, excellent. Because I can just imagine her character, and then the cutaway scenes of like something going wrong in the virtual world, and then like having that those like kind of like um, gut reactions and mm-hmm. things like that. But yeah, you know, um, costume design wise, like you talked about it, um, every part of the Afrofuturism world that Kugler and the company cooked up mm-hmm. is just like that's amazing. Like the Zen tables yeah. and all the gadgets, and then the humor. I mean, like when Donald Glover is over there just hanging out right in lines for your characters oh. in some cases. Donald and Steven, I'm sorry. Um, you know, you got something mm-hmm. special on your hand. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just I, it's my number eight. I just wanted to touch on Killmonger a little bit mm-hmm. more because, like you said, he's one of the Marvel's best villains. Um, and he does that because you as an audience struggle to disagree with what he's going for with yeah. his ideals. Um, and that's something, like, that's pretty special in a, mm-hmm. in a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the hardships, hardships that his character goes through and, like, Really, um, it's in due to the good guys' past actions, you know, mm. so-called good guys. 
um, so you understand what he's suffering and driving to achieve his goals of liberation. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it's one of Marvel's most thought-provoking movies they've mm-hmm. ever done. And yeah, just Killmonger as a villain, just you can't say enough about him. They mm-hmm. set you up so well with Sterling K. Brown as his mm-hmm. dad. You're just like, oh no, no, don't do it, don't do it. Oh, they <laughs> did it, they killed him, he's gone. And then you're like, I would be mad too. Go do whatever yeah. you need to go yeah. do. Avenge, Avenge Sterling K. Brown, please. <laughs> um, yeah, just touching off that real quick. I I think the reason that Killmonger works so well is that, like you said, he you understand what he wants but it's his, it's what he's going to do to get those goals achieved that is where you ultimately disagree with him right. but that but then when like as he interacts with uh, T'Challa by the end of the movie T'Challa learns that yeah he's actually right and we should be helping the world we shouldn't just be like hiding and keeping all these resources to ourselves so we're going to open up these help centers and I'm sure you're going to go run these and like it is such a it's such a unique thing that I mean especially with in a Marvel movie but uh, that the villain is ultimately right in the goals he wants and that he actually like changes the mind of the hero by yeah. the end of it. So, um, that's a great point. That is my number four. So then we're going to get into our top threes. Again, we're doing these individually. So Colin, your number three is, uh, my number three is annihilation. That is my, also my number three. Do we have to pause Josh? I mean, we can pause, I guess. Okay. Cause it, okay. it technically is two spots higher. Oh, Okay. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, we will we will pause on Annihilation and go to Josh's number three. All right. So I don't think any one of you guys want to talk about Hereditary. Uh, it is it, in my honorable mentions. It is, it is not on my list. All right. uh, it would, it's easily worthy of a spot in my top ten. It just The movie made me feel so uncomfortable watching it. <laughs> Absolutely. That I couldn't get it done there just from that aspect. But mm-hmm. as a as a movie, it's like top-notch very or, few movies yeah. have done that to me it yeah. made me i don't want to say viscerally um from every cell in my body <laughs> wanted to leave the theater because um i think i told this story um a while ago but i sat down at this movie hearing great things about it mm-hmm. but i'd forgotten i'd seen the trailer and when i'd seen the trailer you know months back i said there's no way i'm seeing that movie that's <laughs> that's crazy scary and then as the movie began, I began to have a panic attack in the theater saying, <laughs> I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I turned to who I was with and was like, maybe we should leave. And they're like, no, I paid for it just because you have movie pass. We're not walking out. <laughs> so I sat there and I got to witness something extremely special from Ari Aster. Um, and then it's immensely special from Tony Collette, who I would, I would give, I mean, I don't have seen all of I think she should be a front runner for an Oscar. I really, really do because, yeah. you know, it's, the satanic aspects of the movie are on the peripherals and they actually don't show up until the last 45 minutes or so in earnest. Um, But what's in that and around that is just a family that hates each other, who believes one another hate each other. And Oh my gosh, (laughs) it is. That is so, so scary. Like, and just that sound makes you jump in the movie. It's like, no, stop it. It's it's used to (laughs) foreshadow her arrival because you, um, I want to, yeah, Millie, uh, Millie Shapiro's character it has a very visceral, disturbing, uncomfortable, um, you'll want to close your eyes yeah, kind of death. Sure. And when you hear that sound after it happens, it's just, oh no, she's coming back. <laughs> it's, you know, and it, it, but it's about regrets, hauntings that are, you know, about mistakes you make that keep you up at night. And, um, it all culminates in Tony Collette's performance around this dinner table where everything is so uncomfortable that, you know, you 
have kind of felt that one way or another with your family where someone's, mm-hmm. you know, made a, a fuss or a yell and you're just like, what is going on? You know, and it, I connected with that, but I was also scared, you know, out of my mind about it. And it's like the first great horror movie that I'm just able to like rave about mm-hmm. in so many ways. And they don't even go with the jump scares either. They're like, yeah. they'll literally like linger on a shot mm-hmm. and you'll, you'll think you see something in the corner <laughs> and you'll just be sitting there like watching it during the whole scene. And then sometimes it doesn't move. Sometimes it does. And you're just like, oh. yeah. <laughs> and he's uh, Aster just has these like slow pans where they're like, yeah, it's, As, yeah, it's right here. It hasn't like, moved. There's nothing really different here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll cut and there'll be different things. And it'd be like, is that real? Or is that not real? Because there's these, you know, back and forth with, okay, I'm going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does that too in the long shots. Like there's, there's a lot of shots in the movie where you just like see a really long shot and you just see someone off in the distance mm-hmm. and you're just like uneasy yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, there's a full review on the website. Um, yeah. uh, friends of film com. Take a look at it there. But I just, it was, I, it's immaculate. All right. Oh, yeah. So, uh, we're paused on my three as well. So Colton, we'll go back to you. Uh, number two. We may or may not get a pause here, as in we'll get a pause. Um, Avengers Infinity War is my number two. Yeah, we'll pause just just briefly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Keep the conversation to the end. Um, so then, uh, Josh, you're number two. Yeah, so I would like to open the floor to a quiet place. Okay. Is that all right? Absolutely. Um, John Krasinski, my man, Jim, Jumberjack, <laughs> Lumberjack Jim Helper, you know, makes his on-screen debut um, as well as his directorial debut. And it is not only surprising how good this movie was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had my eyes on it when the year, you know, we turned the calendar year. But I did not think it was going to be something this, uh, I want to say art house because that's not correct. But there was a commitment to script and being unique mm-hmm. that I appreciated as soon as the movie began. Um, as we see a completely deserted town and the quietness and just the, the attention to details. Everyone takes their steps mm-hmm. and they walk. And then from there it expands. It's, um, I guess it's a horror movie too. When I really yeah. think about it, maybe suspense thriller slash creature yeah. feature. It's, it's however you want to slice it up. It's hard to wind it together. Yeah. Um, or separate it out. But as it expands the scope, it, becomes a family drama in a lot of ways that's really special and the silence kind of becomes a, an indicator of how sometimes things can go unsaid or untalked mm-hmm. about and you know we just move from there to performances from Emily Blunt and John Krasinski themselves yeah. as like you know a heartwarming couple um, who are not giving up they're just saying we'll go on and we'll do mm-hmm. it any way we have to um, to uh, oh, I forgot her name, Millicent Simmons, yeah, who plays um, the daughter Reagan, who's who's actually deaf, mm-hmm. and the performance she gives, where you can just you can see all on her face and all of her actions, which gives you know the comparisons to the movie. It's, it's such a special meaning, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, even though the aliens basically look like a cheap version of Venom, uh, you know, they were done by ILM, and I kind of appreciate it, but and you know. Yeah, I, it's just really cool at the end to see John Krasinski not being dragged down by his Jim Helper role. Or not being pigeonholed to his Jim Helper yeah, role. Yeah, I was going to say, he, yeah. is, he is being held down and ferociously yes. attacked. Yes, um, that, that's true. That's how it ends for him. You know, and then like you get to see him kind of like, yeah, and then that moment 
his final moment between Simmons and yeah. him, you know, really just kind of gave it its second number place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I, I still think probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the waterfall yeah. sequence. Just when he just, when Krasinski just screams and yeah. Noah Jupe just looks, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, shut up. <laughs> yes. He's like, no, it's okay. Like there's other noise around here. So they're not going to hear us. And then like this kid who for the last 400 and some odd days has had to be like completely silent he now gets to like scream and like just like belt out a noise just because like now he can and it's like those like moments of release um i just i find uh i don't know just refreshing in that movie because you're just like it's so tense and you just like don't want to hear any noise the whole time because you like if you hear noise you know something terrible is going to happen um but then also i don't think i can talk about the quiet a quiet place and not mention the nail yeah because that is still just one of like just the second it just like pops up you're just like oh no no please don't let it happen please don't let it happen and then it, it still happens and like you know it's coming but it's still it just like it pains you like so much to see like emily blunt have to step on that but then also maintain the pain as she's like giving birth to a child mm-hmm. and it's just like it is so exceptionally well done um i think hopefully this movie is going to be in like the oscar contention for whether it's performances or directing or sound design or mixing or whatever um I still think this is one of the technically best made uh, movies of the year so far. So, yeah. Colin, not on your list, is that correct? Uh, it is not. Okay. I would I would consider it an honorable mention. Okay. Now. So then come around to my number two, mm-hmm. which I believe is your number one, Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah, pause. Well, so maybe oh, we're so transitioning we're gonna... to you, so let's just let's talk about it. Okay. Uh yeah, do you want to go for it? You go for it. You're, okay. you're number one, man. Uh, yeah, Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, franchise is now six films in uh, with a 55-year-old leading the way and uh, doing his own stunts, and it proves to be the best of the series somehow. You yep. know? Uh, one of the greatest action movies of all time. Who saw that one coming, right? <laughs> no, I didn't um, see it coming. Yeah, so it's filled to the brim with set pieces, like action set pieces, and they never lets up. Uh, Fallout, it's just an adrenaline-fueled thrill ride that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. Mm-hmm. So there's so much to praise about it. I think I feel like we've already, I've kind of praised it a lot just on the review episode mm-hmm. a few weeks back, but it just feels like one of those rare movies that comes along that you already feel like it's destined to be a classic. Yep. Like in the action movie department um, in particular in this one. So it's a case study on how any type of action scene should and needs to be filmed yeah to achieve like the best Mm -hmm. possible scene that you can get um yeah i'll be comparing this one to every action movie i see years out now i can yeah yeah i think this like this instantly joined the ranks of like a mad max Fury road where it's like yeah exactly instantly it's like well is it as good as mad max Fury road is it as good as mission impossible fallout like the like those will be the comps now for years to come with whatever like solo ish franchise ish like blockbuster action movie is like yeah th- those are like these are like the top tier ones that you now have to compete with and try to hits and if, if if you can find a way to surpass them yeah see that's why it's my number one basically that's all i got to say about it but just just the aspect of like this is what i'm going to be comparing like movies to in the future mm-hmm it's it's got to be number one for me. That's all you got to say. You're ready to close down. <laughs> I mean, I got. I mean, I got I've talked about it plenty. Sure. Yeah, I sure. mean, we did do like a 40 minute yeah, review on it. That's really. all right. I yeah. just I don't want to repeat myself. Yeah. On I what mean, I've said in the you past, got but. you'd be remiss if you didn't mention though that 
as a sixth movie of a franchise, it not only blows everything that came before it out of the water, but it also takes everything that came before it and packages it into itself mm-hmm. and brings you closure, gives you a little bit of emotional resonance, but still keeps the focus on these clear, long, colorful, bright action moments that are strung together mm-hmm. beautifully in the narrative where it doesn't feel like you're just being picked up and dropped down and saying, mm-hmm. all right, got to do something else cool. Here's an explosion. It's no, here's everything, and then here's the explosion. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, Michelle Monaghan getting to come back was a delight. It was a delight. And then, you know, obviously, obviously Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, you got to mention the Ferg, Colton. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, as, if we're going to mention the cast, yeah, the Ferg. Just <laughs> phenomenal, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, got, I did mention uh, Tom Cruise. You can't lose with them. Uh, the man himself, you know, performing his own stunt. So yeah, it's just it doesn't. It, this is just from a from a movie. This is the most impressive movie I've seen all year. And I yeah. so. hated I, Mission I, Impossible before. Before, before you, you saw before it. you watch them, <laughs> before I watch them, and yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people are in that same boat. Honestly, yeah, because there's a lot of people that I know that just Mission Impossible. Pfft, yeah, what's that? Stupid. Just an action movie? <laughs> no, so much more. Um like, Colin, I don't really want to repeat myself because we did do, a, like, a very long spoiler discussion on it, like, four weeks ago now. Um, so you guys can go check out that episode if you want to hear more of our thoughts on Mission Impossible Fallout. But just to recap it quickly, it is just so freaking impressive what Macquarie and Cruz did, like, as you guys both mentioned, to take a sixth film in a franchise tied out together, improve upon everything that came before it, and still manage to come out as one of the best, if not the best, action movie of the last, you know, decade. Um, arguably all time, even, you could go. Um, it is it is exceptionally exceptionally done. The cast from top to bottom, the twist, the turns, the villain, um, played by Sean Harris, everything just is clicking. And the movie is two and a half hours long, but it feels like an hour and a half. Oh, yeah. Because you're just like, it, by. you're so invested. And you're just like, I, I, I wish this could have gone on forever. The hook scene is already iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's there's so much about this movie that's just like, I just want to keep rewatching it over and over and over again. I'm sure once I buy it on the Blu-ray, whenever that comes out, I will be probably doing that. Also, I do got to say, um, there's actually a lot of good scores this year, I feel like. Yes. But this, this is my favorite one. This was a very good mm-hmm. score. Absolutely. Um, so we will move to Josh's number one, which yeah. is Annihilation. Yeah, absolutely, I think you guys already yeah. put this down would be there. this would be another one for score like scores. This is like yeah, top um, for me. Uh, I, arguably, it's the most iconic sound of the year. Oh yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, the weird hum, yeah. which Drake obviously used for his album um, promo yeah he definitely did at least it sounds extremely like it so maybe he did some remixing on it or whatever i hope he did Um, else he could probably get like sued or something i don't know do you sue drake who's putting out i don't know i don't know if you're Annihilation, you're like, hey, Drake, you stole our music. <laughs> yeah. I would. Well, Paramount, did, no, they sold their rights to Netflix and did take oh, that's all, a That's loss. only international, so. Yeah, they did take a loss, so, you know, well, anyway. But Alex, Alex Garland did not with this movie. Exactly. Um, and th- the fact that this movie has been made, I guess, <laughs> is just amazing because it's so, um, it's so dreamlike and it feels like it's taking place on another plane in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Once you step in, Natalie Portman as um, Lena steps into the shimmer and it just takes you through all of these different themes about change and mutation and um, who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the end of it, there's still enough, there's still a massive pile, a pile of yarn that Garland just says, unspool it. 
go for <laughs> it. You tell me what it means in a lot of ways. And it, it's, it's the perfect, it's everything you need in a science fiction film. Um, uh, visually impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially on the budget that he was doing it with. Uh, the shimmer is, you know, it's prismatic and kaleidoscopic. And, you know, you just, you feel like you're somewhere, you're in another world, even though it's still taking place in somewhat relevant terms. Um, there's a cast of kick-butt leading ladies all across it. I mean, Tessa Thompson and Gina Rodriguez, when are you going to be able to say that you had her, <laughs> Natalie Portman, um, and Rodriguez all together in the yeah. same movie, directed by Alex Garland? Probably never. I don't know. But then there's, of course, Jennifer Jason Lee who gives, you know, the, the, the films, you know, the entirety of the thesis at the end, which is mm-hmm. just still mind bending and blowing because you really don't know what's happening at the same time. And, you know, it, it's wonderful. And of course, Oscar Isaac, because I can't forget yeah. him. <laughs> him. Him and Natalie Portman's relationship, I think, is still something that's very special and sweet and kind of grounds everything, too, if you're still not sure what he's getting at. And... I mean the bear and oh know, my just, gosh, just the every image that they bring to you is immaculate. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget Gina Rodriguez's bear scene. Just like the the, the brutality, the, of the, it, well, man. the brutality of that, but also the lead up of that where she's like, yeah, like yeah, where she's <laughs> tied the other three up, like she's yelling at them, like what's happening? My skin's moving. Like I don't understand what's going on here. And then you start like, I don't understand what's going on either. Like someone please help me out. And then it's <laughs> like, sorry. Gina Rodriguez just, just died, and it's just like from there on. Well, even even before that, but it's just like a crazy mind bending ride from like start to finish. Yeah, and then like it still burns my brain every time I see it. Though is just the the expansion of that man's skeleton across the wall yeah. of the pool, oh, yeah. and you know how all the different color tissues mm-hmm. and things like that. And yeah. it's just ooh, it still gives me shivers. And yeah, yeah, or I a do. shimmer. <laughs> yes, shivers. Nice. I liked that a little too much. But I mean, talking about classics, I think this is a captivating sci-fi achievement. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's gonna. It could be hailed as a classic. I mean, I don't think enough people have seen it at this point, but no. they need to. Um, it has very big ideas. It just carries a sense of dread and intensity throughout every scene of the movie, mm-hmm. and it's just parts of it are extremely unsettling. Um, the moving. <laughs> in the stomach. Oh yeah, yeah no, the, uh, that's messed up. Swimming the the bear scene that you had mentioned, unsettling. Um, man, uh, yeah, yeah. I just think it's it it it's something, it's something else, man. It's definitely probably the most unique uh, film going experience I've had this year. More than started to bother you, I would say so. Okay, just to, just because of uh, just like what I had mentioned, the sense of dread and uneasiness that carries with each scene. You're just like sitting there, like what's about to happen? Yeah, when you when you get to the end of Sorry to Bother You, you know what you just saw. I mean, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, other than you know the I don't know if the horse I don't know if horses are a metaphor or not yet. Yeah. But that's it. But Annihilation ended for me the first time. I immediately got the book, bought, mm-hmm. and sped read it before mm-hmm. the review two days later, I yeah. believe. Um, and how does it hold up with the movie? It's the movie takes a different narrative. Yeah, um, okay. Instead of bringing you to the shimmer, it starts you in the shimmer, and there are a lot of different things that get okay. posited out. But the end result is there are no easy answers because we still don't understand how the world works. Mm-hmm. And, and you think, mentioned the sound too, just yeah. the sound design in this movie mm-hmm. is just like even just the the sound coming out of the creatures is yeah. just so. 
unsettling. Yeah, that's just a word I'm going to keep saying <laughs> about this movie, but yeah. it's just yeah, yeah, it rings true for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so then my number one, and I we we planned it this way, so no matter what you guys did. Avengers Infinity War would be the last one we talk about today. Uh, <laughs> not really, but uh, it is my number one. Uh, it really shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Um, I mean, to be fair, Mission Impossible Fall is very, very close. Like, they are, it is neck and neck, but Infinity War I've just, I've seen already so many times. It's like, it can't not be my favorite movie of the year because it's easily the one I've seen the most this year. Um, I think it's uh, just endlessly rewatchable, even though I, like, there's been the complaint of, well, does it really stand on its own? Can you really watch this and not have seen any other movies before? I still think it does enough to show you yeah. and tell you, here's the Infinity Stones are. Here's who Thanos is. Here are the relationships that have gone on between these other characters, why these other characters aren't interacting with each other. Um, it explains enough of the world where you can still get on board. I know that for a fact because a couple of my sisters have seen like no other Marvel movies and they saw this movie and loved it. And they're like, yeah, I understood everything. I was like, Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Um, so it is, there's just so many moments as a longtime MCU fan that just bring me immense joy, whether it's Captain Black Panther running together or uh, Thor arriving in Wakanda in the most triumphant and cool way possible, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, Bucky picking up Rocket and spinning him around and them shooting and like him wanting the arm and then him wanting the gun. And it's just, there's so many of those cool action moments, but there's also like, the 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 sadness and the weight of everything that comes with like Thanos like throwing him off the cliff and like that really emotional scene or Peter Parker's death at the end it's just like that stuff like even though I know that it's probably not it's not it's not lasting I mean there's a sequel to Spider-Man coming on the way and yeah. uh, he's going to be in Avengers four probably in some capacity even if it's just a very small role when he's resurrected uh, that scene still works because for those characters in the moment they don't know that and. I think Tom Holland's performance just knocks it home so far where you're just like, you, how can you not feel for that kid? He's just like, no Stark, I don't, I don't want to go. And it's just like, man, like I don't want you to go either, Peter. <laughs> like, I think stay around. Robert Downey Jr. In that scene is even more like, just like his reaction to yeah. it. Yeah. And then I saw something on Twitter like a week ago where it's like, it's a screenshot of right after like Peter died. And, he's, yeah. and it's like, do you guys ever notice that? Like, after Peter dies, he stares at his hand thinking he's going to leave. He's going to be dusted too. Like he wants and then, to. And then he doesn't. And then the sadness that comes over him That's because like he realizes yeah. that his worst fears come true where everybody else has died and he's still around. And it is, it is just so well done. I mean, I could talk about this movie for hours, but uh, we're already over like an hour mark on this section of the podcast alone. Ooh. So do you guys have any thoughts on Avengers Infinity War before we kind of wrap this thing up? Yeah, I just thought it was excellently built and it was able to sail so smoothly. I mean, you clearly um, hated it. It's your number eight. Well, I mean, like, it, it, is, it is, from my initial review, it has fallen down a little bit yeah. um, uh, for reasons we can talk about on a different show. But it just takes everything that came before it, lays it down like tracks on a railroad, and then just sends like a bullet train speeding through, and then you get to the end of it, and there it is. You mm-hmm. just witnessed everything happen in a mostly emotionally resonant way. If not for the piles of sequels they already had planned, (laughs) it would have been like this massive jaw kick punch roundhouse Chuck Norris style Mm -hmm. takedown. Um, And yeah, like you said, you just talked about the interplay between characters and Drax's invisibility powers. (laughs) And you know, you could go on and on. Uh, Just real quickly, you mentioned, so it, it being an eight is not necessarily a thing of like, well, these other seven movies just blew me away more than Finn War. It's that over time you've like 
found critiques with Infinity War or it's just like fallen down in terms of the stature for you? Critiques, yes. Okay. Um, but also just sort of like um, these films are also things that I could watch and talk about mm-hmm. more than Infinity yeah, War okay. as okay. a human being. Yeah, that's totally that's totally fair. Colin, any Infinity War thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought it defied expectations beautifully and it completely lived up to the hype. Thanos is... Yeah, my favorite Marvel villain yep. so far. Anytime he walked onto a scene, you feared for the lives of mm-hmm. everyone around him. Um, That's a good point. And then also, um, if you look up the word epic in the dictionary or <laughs> in the future when we have holograms instead of books, um, you're going to see Thor entering the battle of Wakanda. <laughs> you're going to see Captain America and Black Panther running to running into war. You're going to see Thanos hurling moons at yes. Iron Man and Spider-Man and all them. It's just... Not yeah, to mention epic. Stormbreaker flying across yeah, yes. the Bifrost. Bring against. me Thanos. Literally, like, although I wouldn't call it my favorite Marvel movie, because it's it's hard to say that at mm-hmm. this point, but like it's definitely top three, and I think it's their most impressive movie they've done so far. Just right. what, how much they were able to cram into it. All right. Well, let's quickly try to compile a consensus list if we can. Oh boy. This will be this will be um, one hour later. Some so, yeah, somewhat <laughs> difficult, but based on. All, all of our rankings combined. I think Annihilation should be our number one. It is the only movie that we all three have in our top three. It's Josh's number one. Yes. Me and Colin have it at three. Yes, I'm very happy with this. <laughs> so Annihilation is going to be number one. I think two should then be Mission Impossible Fallout. It's yes. Colton's number one. It's my two. It just missed uh, Josh's top three. Top three. Yeah. And then this is where it gets dicey. You got to go Infinity War. But if Josh is, a, is a, has an eight, Black Panther, I think, is more – it's closer together with four, six, and eight. Um, but then, um, inc- yeah, it's probably between Black those Panther's two. Black Panther's my eight, though. Yeah. Which probably brings it down and a Infinity little War's bit. Infinity War is my two. True. Yeah. It's year one. It is. Okay. So, so Infinity, Infinity War uh, three. So then do we want to go Black Panther at four mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Incredibles two? I think we have to go Black Panther yep, there. I okay. Agree. Black Panther two. Or not Black Panther 2. I wish. I mean, there's a sequel already. But uh, Black Panther at 4. Incredibles 2. Then at 5. Yep. Right where I put it. <laughs> We're just. This is just Josh's list all over again. <laughs> um, and then this is where it starts getting even more dicey because it becomes less of... It sounds like Ready those, Player One goes next. Those are the five movies that all three of us had in our top tens. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's up in the air. So there's A Quiet Place, which is Josh's number two, which I feel like should that needs probably go up there. But it's my yes. nine... I don't know how close it was to making your list, Colton, but we will put it in there at it's number still, six. I need to rewatch it. I've seen it one time. I've seen it twice. I still think I need that perfect viewing because yeah. both times I've seen it, I've seen it with less than ideal audiences. Stop with the uh, popcorn <laughs> and the candy. Yeah. Um, so then after that, I think it should Black be, it should be Black Clansman. It's both yeah. of our number sevens. Yes. Um, so it coming in at seven, I think, is only fitting. And... I mean, if Josh had maybe gone out and seen it, maybe be higher. I probably would have put it uh, like number one if I'd seen it. Ready Player One then is is my five and Josh's ten. It's just an honorable mention for me. Um, so we'll throw that but in. It would have been like 11. Actually, 12 probably because upgrade. I would probably put it 11. Okay. So we'll Ready Player One at eight. And then Hereditary is Josh's three. That's the highest among the three of us that I have think not it deserves it. to be in top 10 for okay. sure because you had an honorable mention it's right? an honorable mention I just I couldn't get it yes. in there just because <laughs> I really feel un, like I just felt uncomfortable watching it would you ever watch it again yes yeah I like that good 
I still need to check it out. Like, I would like to watch it with him. I'd like to show it to everyone. I need need to watch it at, like, 2 p.m. on a Sunday. No, I'll do it on Saturday. And that way, if I'm creeped out, like, I go to church the next morning and, like, (laughs) pray a lot. That's that's why I said walking out. I was like, I needed to go to church immediately. (laughs) That's what it feels like coming out of it. So then, number 10, I think it's probably between, I mean, it's between, like, three or four movies. Eighth grade, which is Colton's four. Won't you be my neighbor? Which and I've seen eighth grade. You have not. I have not. Um, neither Ladybird. You'll like it. Ne- neither lovely. Neither yeah. me or Josh have seen. Won't you be my neighbor? So that's all on Colton. Deadpool two. All three of us have seen. That's Colton six. And then Game Night is my six. And all three of us have seen that as well. Do we have Ready Player One in there? Ready Player One is in there at eight. That's so this right. is this is the final spot. We want to go eighth grade. I feel like that's it's Colton's four. It's very high up for him. I feel like I'll see and it and then it is, try to tell you guys that you'll, retro, you'll retroactively. <laughs> yeah, I'll, all right. I'll come in and be like, you guys, this is why you all of your opinions about eighth grade <laughs> did not go deep enough and far enough. Yeah. Okay, so listen. <laughs> then our consent, the Friends of Film consensus, top ten movies of 2018 so far is and number ten, eighth grade, number nine, hereditary, number eight, ready player one, number seven, black clansman, number six, a quiet place, number five, Incredibles two, four, Black Panther, and number three is Infinity War, number two, Mission Impossible Fallout, and number one, the best movie of the year, Annihilation. Yes. Or at least according to Josh. So Thank you. We will take <laughs> Bless him. Uh if you've watched Hard Knocks. Uh we will take a very quick break and come back here and run through the news for you guys. And we're back with the news. And this week we're going to start with our three main topics. And this big one this week is Danny Boyle leaving Bond 25. Uh, he exited the film due to creative differences, and it's reportedly over either the villain choice or even the casting choice um, that even Daniel Craig was not on board with. So now the question has obviously become, who should replace Danny Boyle? There's been names thrown out there like John Mark Vallee, Christopher McQuarrie, Edgar Wright, Dave McKenzie, Jan Demange have all been kind of in the mix early on as possible uh, contenders to take over. But whoever it is could still be a little bit away before actually they actually make this movie because variety reported that because of Boyle's exit and his new script that he worked on with John Hodge, um, they are going to have to write an entirely new script and that the 2019 November release date that is currently set is not likely to be hit. So bond 25 kind of going back to the drawing board, Josh, Danny Boyle's out. Are, are you, are you sad about that? And you know, now that he's not there, any of those other names we mentioned peak your interest was lukewarm on him from the beginning. Um, of course, you would want Christopher McQuarrie if he's available. Um, it doesn't sound like he's going to be the way he's tweeting these days. Um, he's already planning Impossible 7. But, yeah, I, I just when you have someone and you're departing over creative differences, that's bad because it means he was trying to do something different or unique or unless Danny Boyle was actually just being crazy <laughs> and his casting choice as, you know... Um, Oh, I don't know. He Meryl wanted- Streep or Judy Dench, who I think would both be awesome picks, but the studio's MGM is, you know, they are what they are. And they're like, no, no. And so we're here. But Macquarie would be great if he's available. 
All right, Colin. Yeah, he would be my top choice too, just based on Mission Impossible Fallout, mm-hmm. you know. See, so, yeah. but uh, I uh, mean, this is, I don't think it both. This doesn't sound good to me. Like anytime creative differences mm-hmm. come up, it worries me a little bit. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I not to say that I was, I guess, thought, oh, Danny Boyle, perfect choice for Bond twenty five. Yeah, but it was like, hey, that is a definitely a different take. And with for it being Daniel Craig's last film, I'd like to see him do something new and a little bit different and at least something good to go out on a high note. And I think I thought Danny Boyle could at least deliver that. Um, I think I'm glad to hear that they would possibly delay the film instead of trying to rush to hit a November release date, because just take your time with it. If, if this is Daniel Craig's last movie, I don't want another specter. Like I need another skyfall. I need something on that caliber to send him off on instead of another down note. So whoever that may be, I don't, I don't, Chris Ricari would do a great job with it, but I'd rather see him do Mission Impossible 7 or anything else than go to another spy franchise. Yeah. Um, I mean, he would definitely do something cool with Bond, but I mean, Edgar Wright would be a fun, interesting choice, but I think he'd probably run into the same problems Danny Boyle ran into. Yeah, I'd rather have him go off and do his own thing. Yeah. Too. Um, but of the ones mentioned, I still think David McKenzie's the one that I'm still like, yeah, he's he'd be what my did he, choice. What did he do? Hell or high water. Okay, yeah. And so, I mean, I don't think Chris Pine's going to come on board, but that'd be cool if he did. Um, but I think Dave McKenzie could do something at least different and interesting with Bond that can at least get me a little more excited. Yeah, or you could pivot to Alex Garland, who is also English. True. And that's like the double whammy. So that is that is the case. Um, so then there was also a report this week from that hashtag show that said that Zendaya reportedly has an offer to play the lead role of Ariel in Disney's live-action Little Mermaid. Um, this is not yet confirmed, and there's been a couple of different outlets who are saying, like, nope, this this isn't true, fake news, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the hashtag show is standing by it. If this is the case, if Disney's offering her the role, Colin, do you think she would be a good pick to play? Yeah, I mean, it? she'd be fine. I always pictured her with red hair, though, but... Yeah. So, I mean... MJ traditionally has red hair. Zendaya plays MJ. Yeah, we'll see about that. (laughs) I thought that, I feel like that's more of a little. Yeah, I think that's just more of a nod than anything. Mm -hmm. Wait, we'll have to talk about this because I don't know exactly what you mean. But I think this is the perfect choice. It's her clouded. I just mean like from the original Disney. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just like picture them casting someone with, you know, red hair. Sure. But then you can't. Disney doing the live action, correct? Yes. 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 So. But then you get to cast The Rock as her dad, and it's <laughs> King Neptune. Awesome. Oh my gosh! Yeah, wow! It would be epic. Okay, I'm, I'm on board. I'm a thousand percent here for this. <laughs> yes, me too. That sounds like a great pitch to me. Um, Melissa McCarthy as oh no Ursula is that oh, too mean? <laughs> that uh, that's not that's not the that's not the worst thing I've heard. I I could actually I could see that. I don't. I, eh, maybe not. She probably wouldn't work with Disney, or maybe Disney no, wouldn't work with her. They wouldn't work with her. Um, but either way, I think Zendaya would be a very good choice for this role. I mean, yes, she's not naturally redhead, but she can obviously dye her hair, wear a wig, whatever the case may be. I mean, they don't even have to go that route either. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, they're obviously, if this were the, to be the case, they're obviously changing the skin color. So why can't you change the hair color area? Like, <laughs> there's just, um, you know, yes, there it is somewhat like ingrained in your memory of this is what Ariel looks like, but that can change with a live action setting. Um, and she's got the singing chops so she can actually pull yeah. this off um, as both an actor and a singer, which I think is needed. And I mean, she's already kind of associated with Disney through the Spider-Man franchise, even though that's technically with Sony, but it's also kind of with Marvel she, studios and Disney. She so grew up with the, and Disney she was Channel a Disney shows. channel star. So, yeah. I know I've heard some people say, well, maybe that's why she wouldn't do it because she's trying to maybe get away from the Disney cha- Disney star, mm-hmm. um, you know, look and persona. But 
it's also what would likely be one of the premiere films whenever this movie comes out. So yeah. if it can be a blockbuster that size, she can get that star power. I don't know why she necessarily wouldn't take that role. So um, I think she'd be a good choice. And then uh, THR also reported this week that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is being put on hold. Uh, this means that the sequel, which was originally scheduled to begin filming early 2019, will not be doing so. And kind of going back to the drawing board, THR described this as a regrouping for Marvel and Disney. Um, after they've decided not to bring Gunn back as the director, they're going to start a new director search and everything. So I think this is the best news possible if you're not bringing Gunn back. Because again, like the Bond 25 scenario... I don't want them rushing Guardians 3 just to get it out by May 2020. Just like take a step back, figure out the direction you need to go on, figure out how you're going to maybe keep James involved, whether it's from as a just with his script or as an executive producer and he can like be on set, but like not actually direct the movie, like whatever it has to be. um, I think whatever you have to do to even just take a step back and like let people breathe a little bit on the situation before it's like oh it's only been six months since james Gunn's fired and now this new director's hired they're now filming and they just i think possibly have more uproar of like no this isn't this is not my guardians of the galaxy like um i think that's probably the best move and it allows for other movies to then possibly supplant guardians in the uh production schedule whether it's a black widow or doctor strange 2 or something like they can come in and get a prime 2020 release date out of it so um i think i think this is a good thing actually yeah i don't see how you could go wrong taking your time and getting things right um especially after this completely botched situation Mm -hmm. they're in um then like i said i'm almost i'm confident gun is going to be saying oh yeah he's a good director i would like him yeah you know direct my script or whatever the case is so yeah well um hopefully it's back on the slate soon and not just cast off because they've already got yeah. sunk costs into the whole franchise anyway so mm-hmm. i'm just i'm mostly concerned with the cast's happiness <laughs> yeah in this whole scenario that's like the biggest concern for me because i don't want to see uh someone else come in and play drax for example <laughs> right you know? yeah. yeah maybe it's like for the millet dave betty's cool cool off you know a little bit yeah that, that i mean that's i think whatever that happens with guardians they need to just let kind of people's heads cool a little bit and then whenever this new director is named whoever it may be have james gunn like give like a state of like or a statement of endorsement to this Mm -hmm. person be like listen i wish i was directing this movie but i also am very comfortable with my story being told by this person i endorse them i back them and then have the cast come out and do the same thing after james gunn like calls dave batista like six times a day and says dave listen Mm mm-hmm it's okay. <laughs> we'll, 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 you guys can work this out. It'll be good. Just give this guy, let, let this guy or girl, like, like just take it easy on him. <laughs> like, yeah. don't be, don't be like mean on set just because I'm not there. I should let Michelle McLaren come over to do it. That I way mean, she can get if, clout for Cowboy Ninja Vikings. Cowboy Ninja Vikings not, I mean, that's not filming the summer as it originally stated. So that's possible. But then again, this movie, who knows when it will film now. So um, this is definitely a movie that is, was was going to be a priority for Marvel, and now it's kind of maybe on the back burner a little bit, whether it comes out in three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, heck, six or seven years from now, and they just really let Guardians cool and maybe have them pop up in other movies instead until they get a true third movie. Whatever happens, uh, the Guardians will be back. So uh, let's quickly go on to Take It or Skip It then. We got uh, three trailers this week, one for Outlaw King, one for Hold the Dark, and the second for Suspiria, 
Josh, which one is getting your ticket this week? Hold the Dark is getting my ticket this week, even though you can't technically yeah. buy a ticket for You're just going to make sure your subscription on Netflix doesn't run out that month. Yes, and okay. I'm going to pre-add it to my queue okay. or my list, whatever they're calling it these days. Um, Jeffrey Wright and James Badge Dale mm-hmm. are kind of like crushing it. I haven't seen Jeffrey Wright in a leading dramatic performance, even though he's deserved one his entire career, <laughs> especially after two seasons of Westworld and two films or three films of the hunger games, I think is yep. what he's been doing. And then all sorts of comedies and him, you know, getting the crap kicked out of him <laughs> in game night. Uh, but I love the lore that this kind of movie's kind of setting up mm-hmm. and then the dark move, because it's kind of feels like it's crafting a new scary campfire story. Yeah. And that's why it's getting my ticket. Yeah. Even though Ben is back in the 30 seconds it had, Almost got me. <laughs> yeah. They're not including it just because it was so short. Yeah. <laughs> you know, take your skip section. It's like, it's literally, just, it's like a snippet of one scene from the movies. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, how indicative of like what right. that movie is. I don't know if I can really trust it, but it looked that 30, 40 seconds look does look very good. Yeah. It's like maybe they just did that for that exact reason. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I, I'll give my quote unquote ticket to Outlaw King. Oh, um, okay. I already was praising David McKenzie earlier in the episode about Bond 25 and him and Pine's last collaboration, Hell or High Water was one of my favorite movies of 2017. So them coming back together for this retelling of the Robert the Bruce story, which made me rewatch Braveheart, which made me once again be like, wow, Braveheart's exceptional. Um, it looks like there's more stories to tell. Like there's looks like there's different chapters to this that were not explored in the Braveheart movie. So it at least kind of quote unquote validates uh, the need for this movie that it's not just, oh, this is just a retelling of Braveheart essentially. Like it looks like it's something different. Uh, even Aaron Taylor Johnson's in there, which like took me like a couple that's like right. rewatches to like recognize. Oh, that's Aaron Taylor Johnson, but like he looks good. Chris Pine looks good. Just seeing the medieval big like like sets and action, and everything. I don't think you could get that on a regular studio movie. So this is again, I think, a place where Netflix can come in and make a retelling of the Robert the Bruce story that maybe a studio wouldn't greenlit, mm-hmm. but. Dave McKenzie and Chris Pine can come do this for Netflix. And yeah. hopefully, I mean, based on this trailer, it looks good. So I'm excited to check it out. Uh, but we'll quickly move on to the flyby then to end out this long episode. Um, starting with Crazy Rich Asians is Crazy Rich Asians 2, I should say, is now confirmed as THR reports that John M. Chu will return to direct as will screenwriters Peter Torelli and Adele Lim. Josh, we both love Crazy Rich Asians. talked about last week. This is good news. Amazing news. Um, it totally deserves... Yeah, it totally deserves it. I cannot wait. Yeah, I mean, the only possible downside of this is Chu already has a In the Heights movie that like set up for his next project, which has a 2020 release date. So we could still be like three or four years away from Crazy Rotations 2. Or I think the sequel book titles like China something girlfriend um so hopefully they just go crazy rich asians too so you can like let it be known for that like, continuity yeah this is like simply a sequel to this colton have you checked out crazy rich asians i have not had a chance to see it yet okay no. so then let's move on then to top gun 2 with deadline revealed a whole bunch of new cast members including thomason mckenzie charles uh, parnell j ellis bashir Sol- Hooden. Danny Ramirez, Monica Barbero, John Hamm, Ed Harris, and Lewis Pullman. Josh, which one of these uh, additions excites you the most? You're an idiot if you don't say John Hamm. Yeah. Well, he shouldn't be within 10 miles of this movie, at least structurally and budget-wise, but there he is. Yeah, as one of the last additions. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what his role is. He seems like the key rival, I think. I don't know. We'll see. I, see him, I, I just like picture him in like uh, a nice white suit, 
just like a very like stern uh, commander of the Ooh. army. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that could very well be. But yeah, I mean, John Hamm, you know, within 10 feet of your movie makes it magic, I think. Because yeah. he's just so, he's, he's very handsome. He- <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, this is great. Yeah, Colin, yeah, also John Hamm. Yeah, John Hamm for sure. He just he's able to pull off comedic roles, dramatic roles, all of the above. You know, mm-hmm. whatever you need him to do. He's, Ed Harris is also good at this. Yes. I think too. So the perfect four quadrant actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who had no qualms going on Thirty Rock and having hook hands, which I just <laughs> love. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's also John Hamm for me, but Ed Harris close second. Um, this cast is shaping up pretty nicely. I wish I knew more about the rest of those other that first six because they're to me relatively unknowns, but. They've all have like pretty big name projects on their slate currently. So maybe by the time Top Gun 2 rolls around next May, we'll know these people a little bit better. Um, one person we do know a lot of is Dominic Monaghan, which Deadline Revealed is joining Star Wars 9, reteaming with J.J. Abrams. Josh, over or under five minutes of screen time for Monaghan? Over. Okay. It'll be some of the most joy-filled moments that Star Wars has. Well. You'll get to go, Yahoo! And all sorts <laughs> of like these moments where you're like, that is me in Star Wars. Okay. Because Mary is kind of the average guy, the average Joe. Him and Sam are the real stars of Lord of the Rings, and they just really carry a lot of emotional weight to them, and he's perfect to, to do that in Star Wars. Colin, are you going over on yeah, your five? Yeah, going over. You can't bring him in and give him less than five minutes of screen time. He's, so you're, you, both, you both agree that he's not the Simon Pegg of Star Wars 9? No. No. Simon Pegg was just like, there was no announcement for him. He was just, oh, I'm here to go put this costume on. Mm-hmm. La, 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 la. That's <laughs> it. This Even is... then, did, did he still, this, I'm, no, I was a little under. But I mean, it was, I feel like on it was. On Carplot, I don't think he's on screen for more than five minutes. No, yeah. I mean, it'd, it'd be under that, but like. I guess it's still a memorable role. Yeah. I mean, that's not to say that he's, whatever role he's, he's not under five minutes will not be memorable. It's just like, to me, this is a signal, oh, he's a. Knights of the Ren member or something like mm-hmm. he's. I don't think he has a major role like that. I feel like he'd be like another resistance, be a resistance pilot or something. Sure, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you're adding Dominic Monaghan and he's talented. So yeah, good for you, JJ. Good for mm-hmm. you, Star Wars Nine. Yeah. Um, and then the last movie that added some talent this week, but also lost some talent, uh, was Little Women. As Radio reported that Emma Watson is joining Greta Gerwig's remake of Little Women, taking the role originally intended for Emma Stone. Stone has uh, apparently opted out of this movie due to her schedule, and so Emma Watson is stepping in. Josh, is this a good switch? Yeah, I mean, like if. The Emmas are practically interchangeable. I mean, at least Watson and Stone. I mean, but the rest of them, um, uh, Roberts, Thompson, Chamberlain, Lahana, you can just, they're all great. (laughs) This is good news. So you don't lose that. This movie doesn't lose anything. And just gain it, it lost one and gain another great actress. Yeah. Colin, any thoughts on Little Women? I mean... I'm on board with the casting. So. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I I'm glad to see this just because is this is this a remake? Yeah, it's a remake. Okay. I mean, it's a remake of the adaptation of the book that Wait, that had like Kristen Dunst, uh-huh. right? Yeah, Kira Knightley, I believe, too. Yeah, not sure about that one, but okay. yes, there are there are notable people in the former. I'm not sure adaptation. if I'll see it, but right. The casting's good. Yeah, you know? the, the casting is phenomenal so far. Everybody they've got on board. So, and I'm glad to see Emma Watson take this role. Not to say that I wish Emma Stone necessarily wasn't on board, but we do see a lot of Emma Stone in these kind of quote unquote prestigious, um, you know, Oscar fair type movies that Little Women looks like it's aiming to be possibly. Um, and Emma Watson, meanwhile, is doing like Beauty and the Beast and then like 
trash movies like The Circle. So to see her get into something like hopefully it's going to be amazing <laughs> with Greta Gerwig, uh, I, I really like that as a move for Emma Watson's career. My apologies to Wayona Ryder for ah. referring to her as... <laughs> Kira Knightley. Yeah, just a, just a little bit different there. Um, so that's all we have for this episode. Again, it's a long one just because we, we had to talk about the best 10 movies of the year in each of our opinions. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back uh, later this week with a, another list doing our most anticipated movies of the fall. So you guys can stay on the lookout for that one. Colton will once again be joining us. And uh, if you enjoyed this Whoop. episode, though, <laughs> please subscribe, share, retweet, more. Plus, our iTunes and give us a five-star review. And then be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by Tweet and Friends on Film. You can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And you can yell at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Colton? And you can sing to me at Believe in Blue 88. <laughs> and thanks, for tuning in to the Friends on Podcast. Josh? La 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 la, Colton. <laughs> Colton, final words? That's beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. And on that note, thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back next week for our future episodes.